Calvin Robinson. Great to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Calvin, you got chucked out of the Church of England. Do you want to tell us about that? <laughs> no. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, you know, I went for my formation and my training through the Church of England for ordained ministry. And at the end of that training and formation, it became very clear that we had different political views, if not theological views, on issues of gender, race, ethnicity. And these were become, becoming a stumbling block in my in the process of uh, my ministry. And eventually, we just had to part ways. It became clear that there wasn't a place for someone like me within the Church of England. Okay. And how are you finding that? How, how is it being on the outside of the Church of England? Uh, I mean, it has its challenges, but I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. You know, I'm with the po- people that I'm supposed to be with. I've, I've, I was at GAFCON a couple of months ago and met with the primates who represent 85% of Anglicans all around the world. And I realized that we are in the majority being Orthodox. And this woke virus, this liberal progressive virus that's taken hold of the Western church is just in the West. It is just, you know, England, Scotland, Wales, America, Canada, Australia. It's not the global church, fortunately. And I think I'm quite relieved, actually, because I'm able to just get on with my ministry where I am without worrying about the latest CRT thing or queer theory or, you know, rainbow flag and all that. It has nothing to do with what I do. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah, you're free. Yeah, I'm free. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Church of England, isn't it? Next week or the week after when they when they meet again? Yeah, next week is their general synod. Mm. It is going to be interesting. You're right. I think people are quite anxious about it to be honest, because they've pretty much said they're going to force through this uh, gay marriage thing. You know, blessing of same sex couples in same sex unions, some of which will be sexual in nature, which clearly goes against scripture goes against the tradition of the faith and the teaching of the faith. So people are going to be put in some very awkward situations where they're going to have to decide, is there still a place for them within the Church of England? Mm. It's an enormous moment. Now, Calvin, you have a a very large platform and you're outspoken on a lot of these topics. Now, some might say that Christians should avoid conflict in the public square, what what would you say to that challenge? You read your Bible. Christ churched up at the temple and didn't like what he saw, so he turned over the tables and pulled out his his whip, his cat and nine tails. He didn't avoid conflict, um, and we're told to be Christ-like. Therefore, we should do what he did. And if people are abusing the church, we should well not get our whips out, but metaphorically at least hold them to account. Hmm. Yeah, I guess someone on the other side might say that that's selective there's you know there's a there's a handful of texts where christ is very confrontational like that but they might say there's many more that are where he's more mild and gentle and they might say you're stoking fires of the culture war what would you say to that i'd say there isn't a culture war it's a spiritual war we're fighting for the very heart of western society which was founded on christian principles and there's been a massive movement which we call liberalism or neo-marxism or wokeism doesn't matter what name you give it that has been trying to undermine the faith and doing so by destroying our way of life and us and the, the civilization that we live in is at threat unless we stand up for the faith and I don't think there's anything Christian about hiding away and pretending it's not happening. Hmm. How do you understand Western civilization? How would you explain it? 
What are you referring to? I, I don't think Western civilization is a tangible thing that you can ascribe a, a succinct definition to, but it's something that we all live in and we all recognize and we all know what it is. And we all see that it is changing rapidly, uh, more so as as uh, as we enter the 21st century. And I don't think that's a good thing. I think it was founded on Christian principles. I think every element of our life was and is. You know, our state, for example, we have a, an established church with bishops in the legislative and making sure that uh, we have a moral compass. We have a head of state. We have a monarch who is, by law, a Christian and therefore a defender of the faith. And our very laws were founded on the Ten Commandments and this idea that uh, every man should have a right to private property and, and common law comes from from God's law and from natural law, actually. Hmm. And I think all of this is is our history, our heritage, and British values are, are from Christian values. This is where I get, we... This is where we get our morality from, our moral moral compass. And I think that's important to maintain. And it is mm. in the process of being diluted. And we have to come to the conclusion that this is an attack on our way of life. And therefore, the question is, do we want to maintain it and sustain it? Or do we want to try something new? I, I'm not in favor of trying something new. I'm, I'm in favor of sticking with what uh, what Christian principles have brought us. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because the sort of attack on Western civilization that you're referring to and that I'm also concerned about is a concern not only for Christians, but of course for plenty of other uh, people. Uh, Douglas Murray is a an easy example because he wrote the book War in the West, but he's not Christian. So you might think that one feature of Western civilization is religious freedom. But you're going further than that. And you're saying it's not just freedom to be Christian, but in a sense, the presence of Christian principles in law and in the institutions. Is that right? So our our culture is inherently Christian. And that Christian culture is what has provided freedom of worship and freedom of expression. Without it, we don't have it. And I mean, we can look around the world and look at cultures that aren't Christian and they don't have the same freedoms that we have because we get them from our faith. So when you take our faith away, you take the freedoms away along with it. And those, that faith will be replaced with another faith that, that has fewer freedoms. Hmm. I guess somebody who's a, a liberal and I have in mind sort of procedural liberals, the the weaker form of liberalism might say that we can have religious freedom without Christianity. So we can just have a something, I guess, like a Rawlsian setup where everybody's free to express themselves, but but a somewhat neutral state, a neutral society. Yeah. Now, one of the big questions, of course, at the moment is whether uh, this woke movement that you've referred to is, is a, a feature or a bug of liberalism. And those who think it's a bug are going to say, no, we can return to you know procedural liberalism and every, everybody can be free. But this, my sense from what you're saying is you think it's perhaps more of a feature and that this idea of, of a neutral playing field isn't going to work. Am I, have I got you right? Yeah, there is no such thing as neutrality. It, it's, a, it's a lie. It's a falsehood. Where, where is there such thing as a neutral state? And 
we all know that nature abhors a vacuum. So once once we take Christianity out and say, okay, we're all neutral now, this country is a neutral country, it's 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 secular, then something else steps in to fill that gap. Right now, wokeness, the religion of woke is filling that gap with gender theory, queer theory, critical race theory, and all the these divisive, toxic ideologies that spawned from Marxism, uh, which are all antithetical to Christianity. That has taken hold. But also at the same time, Islam is growing in this country as well uh, at a rapid pace. So you, if you take one thing away, something else will be put in its place. There is no way of being neutral. But also the idea of neutrality is absurd because that comes from the idea that all cultures are equal and all religions are equal and all ideas are equal. And that's not the case at all. Um, I think our culture is superior to many other cultures for many reasons that most people I think would agree with, but that sentence itself, people find problematic. They don't want to have this idea of their culture being superior because, oh no, white supremacy or colonialism or something like that. But it, no, if you look around the world where you see cultures where people who are homosexual are stoned to death and, and or thrown off roofs of buildings, women aren't allowed to show their faces in public, let alone drive a car. Like I would say those cultures are not equal to ours and they are inferior to us, and therefore we should protect our culture. Yeah, in, in a certain respect, in a certain respect, could it be that those cultures, in a different respect, are superior to our culture? Right, of course, nothing is uh, nothing is perfect, and our culture is far from perfect. But in in the majority, it is a it is a far better culture than most uh, other cultures because it's founded on Christian principles, and they are what what are important. Brilliant. You ready for another open-ended question? <laughs> Go for it. We had Catherine Burble sing on last week, oh, yeah. and uh, she gave a response to the question, what does woke mean? And given that you've mentioned it a few times, what's your response? What does woke mean? Woke means awake to societal injustices. Go on. Uh, what does it mean when you use it in a negative sense? No, what it means just that it's the same doesn't mean it, for people that support woke and people that are against woke it means the same thing there's no point trying to redefine the word the problem is that people are perceiving societal injustices where they do not exist because they're looking at the world through a, a lens of victimhood whether that's through a racial lens or a trans lens or a lgb lens it doesn't matter if you pick a lens to look through the world look at the world through you will see things according to that lens so if you are looking for racial injustices you will find them even where they perhaps don't exist or don't exist to the extent that you think they do that's the problem with woke in that it's not there's nothing wrong with being awake to social injustices but it's the fact that we're perceiving them where they may not exist and and or making them worse that is the issue that i have with woke so should we all be woke insofar as it just means awake to injustice i think we should all be trying to fight injustice where we see it but we should be doing so according to the scriptures according to the truth beauty and goodness that has been revealed to us rather than our own warped narrative of what justice means because that's where we get into problems you know when we see people fighting for rights today i'm like what can you tell me what rights you'd like and they can never tell me because we live in a quite an equitable equitable society whereas when people were fighting you know when the suffragettes were fighting for women's rights, I knew what those rights were, for the right to vote, the right to work, the right to an equal wage. The, you know, When I ask someone who's saying, what, what trans rights? I'm like, what rights would you like? That, but trans rights, yes, mm -hmm. define it. Let's have a conversation. They can't because it doesn't exist. There, there, there's no such thing. Mm. Do you think this sort of say woke belief system has roots in sort of a, a different sort, form of Marxism where rather than having oppressor oppressed uh, bourgeoisie versus proletariat, 
it's sort of a identity based oppressor oppressed. Do you think that's a correct analysis? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the class war died out decades ago, and now we are on the identity war, where people are being painted as oppressed and oppressors, even if they may or may not be. At least in the class war, we knew who the oppressors and the oppressed were, because we could see the manifestation of that in real terms. Uh, when it comes to identity, again, this is often perceived, because we live in a country where most of the highest off holders of, of states happen to be, I think, minority. As an example, our prime minister is is a heathen, our, our mayor of London is, is Islamic, and we have what, the most ethnically diverse cabinets in history. So there's, I don't think there's much of an argument to be made that ethnic minorities are oppressed in the United Kingdom. I think the evidence suggests otherwise, but it doesn't matter because the narrative is if you are an ethnic minority, you're oppressed. If you're white, you are an oppressor. And if you have a narrative like that that cannot be addressed with evidence or, or we can't look at it through first principles, then there's no way to progress because we're stuck in that rut forever. And you're speaking, as I understand it, as an ethnic minority? Yep, yep. I, my skin is brown, as you can see. Uh, I'm half black, half white. How is the church responding to this? And how should they? Why should she? The, the church, church be is responding confused. To this? The Western church wants to be seen as progressive uh, because it sees that as a nice thing, but it's forgetting to be rooted in the scriptures and to be rooted in tradition and to be rooted in the faith. So when it comes to these issues, it's jumping on bandwagons and making massive mistakes, you know, tearing down monuments and statues because people may have had some kind of loose link to colonialism at some point in, in the past. And it's forgetting that actually these monuments and statues are not put up for perfect people. The church should be teaching that we are all sinners and that we must all repent. But these are these monuments and statues are recognizing some particular point in history for a particular reason. Uh, we're not idolizing or worshiping these these persons and that would be a mistake to suggest so uh, so the and on on terms of lgbtq stuff you know putting a rainbow pride flag on an altar an altar of god an altar of the lord's sacrifice of his holy communion of his eucharist replacing it with our politics our politics our ideologies that is well, making gods of men and replacing God with us. So the, wherever they look at these woke issues, they're making massive mistakes. But some might argue that if they do embrace these ideas, they'll be more popular and relevant for young people. Yeah, they might argue that. They'd probably be wrong. The evidence suggests otherwise, doesn't it? If we look around the world where churches are embracing uh, liberal progressive ideologies, they are dying. And where they are sticking to the faith, the trueness, the oneness of the faith, where they are orthodox, the church is thriving. I mean, it's common sense to just look at the stats and they mm. speak for themselves. But my friend, Professor Eric Kaufman, has done studies that show that, I, now I hope I'm getting him right here, but, but that a lot of Gen Z are buying into these sort of ideas, uh, these sort of woke ideas. So if a, lot of, a lot of them are buying into these ideas could seem like a a good strategy for the church to as you can tell i don't believe this here but i just yeah. i just eric, eric Kaufman's a good man and he's got a lot of good i like being him because he looks at the evidence and th so this is the thing yeah a lot of young people are buying into these mm -hmm. woke ideologies but 
that doesn't mean that adopting these woke ideologies brings people to you. So people don't go to woke churches because woke people don't believe what the church believes. And by by the church taking on board some woke values, that doesn't attract woke people to the church. They're never going to attract these woke people. And what they what the church should be doing is offering something counter to that, being literally countercultural and providing the truth of the faith in mm. its orthodoxy. And that is distinct, and that is attractive to people that are sick and tired of the woke stuff. So you're never going to attract. I mean, you might attract some of the uh, some of the woke people, but you won't attract them by giving them what they already have elsewhere. And um, what we should be doing is not trying to attract them that way anyway. We should, we should be leading them to the truth, to the light of the world that is Jesus Christ. Mm. And if you're dealing with these people, whether young or old, there's a lot of talk about being winsome when uh, communicating the gospel, which is the view that you should minimize offense in order to maximize reach. Mm. So some might say you should be mild uh, and, and and try and hold off on the controversial stuff in order to reach a lot of people, uh, particularly yeah. these these people who hold these woke beliefs. Yeah, the, the view might be that if if you're controversial, they'll just close their ears immediately. What do you think to the, what do you think about that? I think this is part of the reason that I split ways with the CB. They wanted me to be more winsome. And I think there's a lowest common denominator approach that actually ends up appealing to no one by trying to appease the woke mass or the woke mobs. And actually, when I look at, uh, I look back to the church fathers, I look at Paul, I look at St. John the Baptist, when I look at, uh, later than that, uh, St. Athanasius, when I look at anyone that has done anything in the church, they haven't tried to be winsome. They tried to adhere to the truth to the orthodoxy of the faith and be firm in that faith be polite sure don't, don't, don't use expletives but be strong in the faith and if people take offense to it fine because sometimes people need to take offense for something to to touch their hearts sometimes they need to be rocked by something they can't if you are trying to appease people all the time and and never to conflict their current worldview how do you enable them to see the, the real view how do you enable them to see the truth if you're always saying well what you believe is fine but I believe something else. If you're saying no, what that is that is bad. You know, introducing children to drag queens is bad because it's degenerate. Here is a better way. Yeah. Yeah. I guess your opponents might think that if you take this approach, you'll end up a bit like the Westboro Baptist Church. Do you remember them? My criticism of them would be how has how has their approach been working so far? That's been the approach of the official, is the approach of the established church since what the early 1900s, and what's happened? It's been on a rapid downward trajectory ever since, with the issues around contraception, divorce, homosexuality, women's ordination, on all the woke issues. They've jumped on the bandwagons, and the church is dying. Mm. So again, let's go back to first principles. Yeah, and at least with the Westboro Baptist Church, arguably, plenty of their views are actually just not Christian, so it's not just their tone, but the, the content. So the church in Britain, how is it doing? I guess we've we've covered that to some extent. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the establishment is crumbling, but the church big C will always survive. And I think from the remnants, something special will happen. And perhaps the institution of the Church of England as it exists today needs to kind of evaporate in order for the tr the church big C to grow. Hmm. Do you think Christians could face persecution in the coming years? Oh, absolutely. We're already getting there. You know, the amount of every week. So I, I have a TV show on GB News and I try to cover stories, um, current events from a faith perspective. 
every week at the moment we're seeing someone who's been fired for holding Christian views, quite often teachers uh, or people who have had their bank accounts closed or pe people that have been shunned from the public square in some way or another. People are being discriminated at the moment. There is a growing intolerance towards Christians and that intolerance will eventually lead to persecution, I've no doubt. But that's fine. It's prophesied. We will be persecuted because of our faith and we would be blessed because we are persecuted. So we're going in a direction that may lead to persecution because one of the criticisms is that you know, there are people in other countries who are killed for their faith and what we're experiencing here isn't that. Yeah. But uh, your your point is about the trajectory. Yeah, right we're now on... we, have, we have intolerance. That's, you know, it's negligible. It's nothing compared to what yeah. goes on in uh, southern, southern Sudan or northern Nigeria, you know, where people are genuinely persecuted. But mm. we will probably get to persecution at some point if we continue on the path we're on. Yeah. And Rod Dreher talks about preparing for the future. Have you come across Rod's work? Yeah, Rod's a good friend. Yeah, Live Not By Lies, which I really enjoyed and appreciated. I mean, he basically says that now Christians should brace themselves and get ready, and in particular, put in place small communities yeah. that they can draw on when things get harder do you roughly speaking agree with that approach a hundred percent the benedict option was inspirational i think and i've seen it in practice now so i've, I've visited a few um communities like the bruderhof uh, a group of anabaptists that live separate lives in their community and i think it's great for them but it, i don't think it's fulfilling the command of being in the world but not of the world because i don't mm. think it's in the world i think they're separated themselves but where i've seen alternative approaches are Steubenville in Ohio, where a oh, bunch yeah. of Catholics have moved into this neighborhood together. They're buying up the high street. They're creating, you know, they're opening shops, uh, bookshops and restaurants and stuff. And they're living together faithfully, intentionally as Catholics within a community that anyone can join and anyone can be a part of. And that is, I think, a great approach to the Benedict option. That's where Matt Fraud is based, is, is it? Yeah, he flew me out there for Pints with Aquinas and I just fell in love with the place. Obviously, they've got the Franciscan University at the top of the hill where students, I mean, they have like three chapels to choose from. And I, I went to look around the chapels and they had students in there praying. I'm like, what, what's going on? This is amazing. <laughs> it's different from Oxford. <laughs> and, mean, yeah. and you think they're in the world there. So obviously they're living in community, but you think they're still in the world yeah, because it's not a separate community. They've, they've just moved into a deprived area and they're mm. purposefully gentrifying it and making it better and living mm. faithful lives. And people need to be around Christians who are living a Christ-like life to see an, a, an example of something different to what else is going on around them. Mm. Whereas if we're in gated communities separate from the world, that doesn't help anybody except ourselves. Yeah, there's quite a lot of talk on online at the moment about a couple of books that have come out from American Christians suggesting that Christians in America should move from blue states to red states, and particular red states, partly for the sake of their children, that their children are going to be educated in a sound manner, mm. uh, also for support. And then the sense I get is almost that uh, they then sort of go out as missionaries from these communities to blue states. Yeah. Now, in the case of the UK, I mean, do you think we could ever get to that point where Christians uh, and even just social conservatives more generally are are moving to areas in a in a similar sort of way. 
I don't know. So in regards to the US, I was in Texas recently and another place I fell in love with. And I see people moving from California to Texas and I can see why, you know, it's a place where they're Christians. It's a place where they believe in freedom and they're, they're bold about their faith. It's a wonderful thing to see. And then so seeing people move there to support each other. And then also I saw missionaries who moved to places like Georgia, Atlanta, um, not a place I fell in love with, but good for Christians to move there and bring the faith with them missionaries that is great and i see it in america in the uk we have very different attitudes to these kind of things we still do have a sense of community in rural areas but in the cities i live in london there's no community in london mm. it's it is a den of vipers uh, but how do we bring community to a place like this that's the question we need to be asking i don't know and conservatives and christians we're, we're very reticent in england we're very reserved and we need to be bolder. We need to be a bit more American in these in these particular issues. Not all issues, but in these issues. Mm. Part of the problem in London, of course, is the house prices. They're so high that families can hardly afford to live there. You sort yeah. of afford it if you're a 24-year-old working as a consultant, but you'll struggle far from that. Oh, it's absolutely ridiculous. It really is. We need to do something about the, the housing situation. But maybe, maybe we need to leave the cities. Maybe the cities are lost. Maybe we need to go back to um so the suburbs or even further out and go to rural areas and yeah. you know, towns villages coastal areas and reclaim them because there's still a lot of community vibe there and yeah. build christian communities i recommend northern ireland i was over in northern ireland recently as well were you yeah, yeah. it was really where good were you? um banger banger that's where my parents live oh okay cool Yes, I was in uh, Boston and in Bangor. Amazing house prices over there, low cost of living, cheap education, and it's some beautiful beaches. That's a good clean air. Yeah, a bit more rain, but there's umbrellas for that. Yeah. Excellent. And what else are you up to at the moment? Are you doing any writing yourself or any any topics that you're interested in? Uh, I'm just chipping away. So I'm just doing my, my TV show and doing and looking after my parish, and that's it. It keeps me busy. I've got a Substack, so I do occasionally write on there. I'd love to do a book eventually. I'm just trying to get the idea uh, solidified in my head. But other than that, I'm just, yes, keeping keeping on, keeping on. Yeah. Did you find when you studied theology at Oxford, did you find that you you did that and, and now you've moved on to something different or are you still trying to keep a hand, oh, no, no, hand no, in that no, world? Yeah, you never finish that. I, I read theology pretty much every day. Uh, most of the books on my bookshelf are theological books. I think... Once we're ordained, we are committed to a life of learning about the faith. We can't teach something that we're not learning ourselves. I don't think we can ever become experts in this particular area. God is too big for us. Excellent. Well, for a theology teacher like me, that is that's the right answer. It's a good advertisement. <laughs> I passed the test. <laughs> Kelvin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's fantastic to uh, to hear from you. Not at all. And, uh, yeah. and to our listeners... Thanks again. Do like, subscribe, follow, and we'll be back soon with another episode.